invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. While everybody's getting to where they belong. been studying through the, the book of Acts, and as we are now traveling along with Paul and Barnabas, they are spreading the gospel uh, now in what today is south-central Turkey. Uh, today they enter the city of Iconium, uh, which is today called Konia, and here's a little trivia for you, Iconium, or Konia, as it's called today, uh, is the hometown of the parents of the, the television doctor, Dr. Oz. So if anybody's familiar with Dr. Oz on TV, this is where his parents are from. These are the things you need to know. We provide the great information for you here at First Press. Let's read God's word now from Acts chapter 14. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly. continue to preach the gospel. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Did my microphone just cut out? No, it's back on. Feels like it's back on. Okay. When I was in high school, I was on the track team and I was a pretty good high jumper. Uh, but because I didn't go out for track until my senior year, uh, high jumping was the only event I was allowed to do. I really wanted to try to run the hurdles because I thought that was kind of cool, and I thought foolishly that I could do it. Uh, well, fast forward to the state championship meet. There was one other boy who was my main competition in the high jump, which was one of the last events of the day. Well, that young man also ran the hurdles, and during the hurdles race, to my inner delight, that guy tripped over a hurdle and he crashed and burned into the track. And I thought, I've got this thing now. Well, uh, a little while later, uh, after I thought, hey, there goes my main competition, and two, I'm glad the coach didn't allow me to run the hurdles. Uh, well, by the time the high jump competition rolled around, don't you know that my competitor not only recovered, but he won the thing. He won the high jump, and he beat my best jump, which would have been a state record. Well, he overcame, obviously, a lot of adversity, some extra adversity, uh, that day to be successful. Postscript to that, I always beat him in college. He never beat me again. Uh, well, the book of Acts, I didn't come here to talk about myself. 
but the book of Acts is about how Jesus continues to work, though he himself has ascended to heaven. He works uh, through his people. Uh, Christians are ambassadors for Christ. It tells us, and Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. And even though Jesus sits on the throne of the universe as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, his ambassadors on earth, uh, they, they face hurdles and opposition as they seek to represent Christ to the world. We have, yes, a promised, final, glorious victory. We know the victory is ours, but along the way, we encounter adversity and opposition. Sometimes it seems that the church is crashing and burning in its ministry to the world, just like my friend did. Uh, the, ad the adversity and opposition is what we see happening with Paul and Barnabas as they travel about on this first missionary journey. They face their hurdles, but they don't quit. They keep on preaching the gospel, sharing it with others, moving from town to town. And there are two important things were happening in the midst of these life-threatening persecutions as they sought to do the ministry and some lessons that we can draw uh, from their example, from these just very few uh, verses. Number one, the word of the Lord's grace was spoken boldly so that people believed. That's one thing that we see that is happening here. And then the second thing we see happening here is that the word of the Lord's grace was borne witness to by the Lord changing lives. The word of the Lord's grace was borne witness to by the Lord changing lives. I want to break down those two things in the next few minutes for you. We'll begin, first of all, with the word of the Lord's grace was spoken boldly so that people believe. Verse 1 tells us that Paul and Barnabas spoke in such a way that a great number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. Now, this implies uh, reasoning, a well-thought-out argument, an appeal to the people. Uh, many people responded to their appeal as they spoke of the things that Christ had done. Now, some people did not believe, and uh, just to be spiteful and because they were uh, opposed to Christ, they, uh, they stirred up antagonism amongst the people uh, against Paul and Barnabas. Now, we might have been tempted to throw up our hands and say, oh well, they don't want to hear us and, and went on our way. But that's not what Paul and Barnabas do. They remained there for an extended period of time, it tells us, and they spoke boldly for the Lord, verse 3 tells us. Now the word spoke boldly here is one word in the Greek and it's the Greek word that explains what we would call the right to freedom of speech. You know, as Americans, we value uh, the right to the freedom of speech. It's one of the rights uh, that we have in our Constitution. And like us, the Greeks believed that people had a right to speak freely and openly and boldly with candor and without fear they, as they shared their ideas about things. And this is what Paul and Barnabas did. They exercised freedom of speech and they continued to tell people about Jesus. Even though there were people whose minds, it tells us, were poisoned uh, and embittered against them, 
Paul and Barnabas continue to speak what verse 3 calls the word of his grace. Now that phrase, that's a phrase that tells us the content of what they so persistently shared as, as they went around talking to people, even in the midst of the opposition and adversity they faced. This message was what was so important for them to speak to people. They did not deviate from this message, but they just doggedly, persistently continue to share it day after day from place to place. This is the message you must hear. This is the message I must hear, that we all must hear, and let it sink down into our hearts uh, ever in an ever-deepening way. This is the message to which you must respond appropriately. Remember last week we talked about the fact that the, the gospel means good news and you respond to news. If you hear news that pertains to you, you have to, you have to respond to it. And that's what the word gospel means. Well, here we have the word of his grace, the gospel message, the good news. Uh, it's a message that will change your life. And that's the purpose of the message. This is the message that must be spoken throughout the world to every person, tongue, tribe, and nation. The word of his grace. Now this week, I want to come to a better understanding of that message. Uh, the message of Jesus, that, that it's the word of his grace. Or the word of his undeserved favor. That's what grace means. Unmerited, undeserved favor. Humanity did not deserve for Jesus to become a man, uh, to fulfill all righteousness, to uh, bear the curse for sin on the cross, and then to rise again from the dead for our justification, conquering sin and the last enemy, death. That was something that Jesus did, uh, that God did, because he loves us and he saw the plight of humanity and that humanity was lost without it. Humanity could not save itself. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We need to understand this, that this is a favor that God has done for us. I heard a song uh, the other day that that praised God's grace. And it, and it was saying that wherever, the, the artist was a man, and wherever he went, God's grace followed him. And I, and I understand the sentiment that he was uh, expressing there. God is graciously present wherever he goes, working all things to the good of him uh, who is, loves him and is called according to God's purpose, as Romans 8.28 puts it. He was expressing that thought that, that God's grace was with him in the, fact, in, the, in the person of God's presence being there in the Holy Spirit. But sometimes when people speak uh, like this or just talk about grace generally, you get the sense that, uh, that grace is some ethereal, mysterious force that just kind of surrounds us and we're praying for grace and, and it's not specific, but really... Grace is uh, a favor. It's like if someone did you a favor. Uh, when someone does you a favor, they 
They do something that maybe you didn't deserve or earn or, or maybe you didn't even ask for it. They, they just did it because they wanted to and they cared about you and they did it uh, for you without you even asking. And that's what God has done. When we talk about his grace, we talk about concrete, uh, real-life, active things that God has done. We, when we talk about God's grace, the word of his grace, we're talking about what, what God actively did to save us, this favor that he did. He, he intervened in our lives, even though we may not even have been looking for him. He breaks in and says, you know, you're going down a path of destruction and I'm going to do you a favor by rescuing you from that path. That's what this word of grace is. That's what Paul and Barnabas were sharing, specific acts of God on your behalf. Now, think about it this way. Uh, I can be favorable towards you. I don't have anything against you. And I can have, uh, you know, even a warm feeling about you. But I might not ever do you a favor, even though I feel favorable towards you. But you would never know it unless I expressed it some way. Or really, if I ever, you know, what I really would need to do is do you a favor, show you my favor by an action. Uh, God has done us favors, solid favors and he continues to do that in the lives of his people that's grace many people these days think of God as someone who is favorably inclined to them in a general way a blanket acceptance they believe that Jesus loves them just as they are got to be careful here because in a sense that's true Uh, but I think we can sharpen that language a little bit to really understand better how Jesus feels towards us. A better way to put it is to say, Jesus loves you despite who you are. You know, he says, come as you are. If anyone comes to me, I will in no way cast them out. He invites you to come as you are. But he loves you so much, he's not going to leave you like you are. He he is inviting you to come to recognize that you're broken and that you can't fix yourself, that you're a sinner and you can't deal with your sin problem. He's inviting you to come with your sins and let him clean you up, to let him make you holy, to form you into his image, a, a new creation in Christ. See, that's the word of his grace, not just that God is favorably inclined to you, no matter uh, who, who you are and uh, what you do. I encounter lots of people these days who say, yes, I, I'm a Christian, but it has not changed their lives at all. There's no change at all. There's no fruit of the Spirit. There, there's nothing to indicate that they're actually Christians, but they think that God is favorably inclined to them. He's inviting them to come, but when God invites us to come to him and we come to him, he wants to free us from bondage to sin. That's, we've got a big problem. It's a sin problem. And, and he wants to, to get rid of the disease of sin in our lives. And it's a process that he's taking us through. That's the word of his grace. He is actively and graciously intervening in your life to make you holy. 
to make you what all humans were created to be before sin entered the world. That's why Jesus came to earth and died. He did the world the greatest favor ever done. This is the word of his grace, the word that tells people how God himself did not leave you to die eternally for your sins. He, out of his love, has himself intervened with his great rescue mission. This is the message that Paul and Barnabas doggedly proclaimed in the face of a mob with rocks. You know, I can think of lots of ways to die. But having a, a large group of people throw stones at you is not one of the easier, nicer ways to, to go about that. That happened to Paul. He was left for dead. We'll read about it next week as we read on into what happens to him in, in Lystra. But you know what he does after they stone him and leave him for dead? He gets up, goes back into the city, and he starts preaching again. Because that's... This word of his grace. He's got great news to tell people. And if they don't listen, they're going to rot in their sins. And God has called Paul to be a, a representative of his. And see, what Paul was actually doing was demonstrating the love of God as he proclaimed this message of forgiveness, this message of grace. And as he overcame the hurdles that were thrown in his way and the adversity that, that came, and, he, and as he showed that you can, you can poison people's mind against me, you can negate what I'm saying, you can argue with me, you can physically beat me, you can stone me, but I am going to continue to show you the love of Jesus Christ. I'm going to continue to proclaim it to you no matter what. And that's what Paul's doing. He is demonstrating the same kind of love that God has for us, that God had for those people in Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. He was demonstrating it in the way that he was living it out and the way that he was proclaiming it in spite of the opposition. That's what Jesus did as he laid down his life, as he faced opposition from not only physical, earthly enemies, but from the spiritual forces that came against him. So this is the message that we preach. This, this is our primary purpose as a church. This is what makes us a church. James Bannerman wrote a great book called The Church of Christ, two-volume set. Uh, and he says this, To hold and to preach the true faith or doctrine of Christ is the only sure and infallible note or mark of a Christian church. This is it. If, you don't, if you're a church and you're not proclaiming the gospel, you're not a church. This is the one thing for the sake of which a church of Christ has been instituted on earth. We are to, we are to be witnesses for him. We are to make disciples of every nation, of all the nations. Churches can get involved in many things, many good things, but we should never refrain from preaching and teaching the gospel. And we should do so in the face of all the opposition because as we do that we're demonstrating we're demonstrating that very love we're talking about any other thing that we're involved in should serve the main purpose of proclaiming the good news the word of grace may we never get distracted from this message 
as a church or as individuals because it's not a message that you grow, grow past, you know, oh, I got the gospel and now I'm moving on to different things. No, you continue to appropriate the gospel and live in the light of the gospel. Live your life in line with it. Let it influence the way that you live. Let it motivate you to greater holiness. So the whole point of what Jesus has graciously done for sinners like us is to change us, to make us holy. And this is demonstrated in the passage. And it brings me to the second point. Very briefly, because I know we've got to go eat lunch. And you're going, wait a minute. He's... Real, real quick, though. The word of the Lord's grace was borne witness to by the Lord changing lives. Just say one thing, verse 3. It tells us that God gave Paul and Barnabas, these missionaries, an especially effective ministry of miracles, which would have been, uh, which were ordinarily healings. And if you read on down the passage, you'll see that a lame man was healed. And uh, these miracles, you know, you think clearly about miracles because often we think, oh, in the in biblical times they were always doing miracles. That's not true. They came in clusters. They came at special times. You know, you, you see miracles during the Exodus with Moses. You see miracles in the in the uh, ministry of Elijah and Elisha. You see miracles in the ministry of Christ and the apostles. It validates the message that they were giving, and the message that they were giving was that that God is intervening to rescue you from sin, the effects of sin to rescue you from bondage to sin and to ultimately death. So when they healed, they were living examples, these healed people were living examples of what the message of the gospel does for a person. Changed lives. They saw changed lives and Paul could say, look, it changes lives. Jesus changes lives. Believe in him. And that's something that we need to think about as a church, as individuals. Is the gospel changing our lives? Are we seeing the fruits of the gospel in our lives? Can other people see that we're being changed into the image of Christ? Do we see it? Because that's what Christ has saved you. He's, he's saved you to make you more like Jesus, to, to recreate in you uh, that holiness of God. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord, the Bible tells us. But as a church, as well, we need to, to not only show that lives are, are, our lives are changed, but we need to reach out and help people to be changed in their lives, to, to share this message of the gospel, and to show the power of Christ to heal and help people. Change lives, ministries to psychological, social, and material needs, these all back up the preaching of the gospel and authenticate it. That's why mercy ministry is important. We reach out into the community and, and transform not only people but the, the whole culture. And the gospel is doing that. Is your life being changed by the Lord? Do you get, see evidence that you are becoming more like Christ? Do you have something to share with a world that needs to be changed? That's the real question. And this is, this is the message that we preach, that Christ can change lives. And of course that that message is going to be opposed by the world in which we live. We see it all the more uh, in our day and time, increasing uh, opposition, increasing hurdles that we think we might trip over and crash and burn on. But the Lord has promised to build his church and the gates of hell 
will not prevail against it. Paul and Barnabas knew that, and they continued to be faithful to proclaim this message and to show the love of Christ, even in the midst of, uh, of the difficulties of having adversaries who were violently, even violently, opposed to it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to be faithful uh, to share the word of, of the gospel. But Lord, I think maybe what we're missing out on is, is having the gospel have an effect in our own lives. Lord, we pray that we would grasp in a deeper way what you've done for us, that we would understand it better, that we would think about it more, and that it would motivate us to, to say, you know, you, you have bought us with a price. We're not our own. We're yours. And we, we want to do what's pleasing in your sight. We want to reflect your love to others who need to hear about it. So, Lord, we pray that you would inspire us and encourage us this morning. And if there's anybody here today who has never embraced you as Lord and Savior, Lord, we pray that they would cry out to you. They would turn from sin and say, here I am, Lord, fix me. Uh, change me, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. Make me your child. We pray, Lord, that all of us would continuously say that. In Jesus' name, amen.